Hello, darlings. A couple of quick housekeeping notes before we start the show. Um, First up, I'm aware we're missing a couple of book club episodes. Um, I just haven't had time to put them up. I will get them up this month. Really sorry about that and hope you enjoy them when they arrive in your ears. And then the second thing is we recorded this episode on uh, November the 4th. So you will hear some random banging in the background. It's fireworks. Um, Really sorry about that. Um, And also my microphone decided to conk out halfway through, uh, leaving me recording on my headphone microphones, which are not very good. So I sound like crap for the last 20 minutes. Sorry about that. Hope it doesn't interfere with your enjoyment too much. Thank you for bearing with us as always. Enjoy the show, darlings. Welcome to the Dead Darlings podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney. I'm Laurie Eaves. And I'm Hannah Hutzberg. Dead Darlings is a monthly podcast for the spoken word community. Each month we'll be bringing you interviews, tips, inspiration and above all awesome poetry from the spoken word scene. We'll also be telling you what's on and where you can submit your work. This month we'll be interviewing Cat Blair. Woo! 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 And hearing a poem from Matt Sowerby. And we'll be giving you a sneak preview of our book review episode where we'll be chatting about Blue Horses by Mary Oliver and that will be out later in the month. But first, what have you been up to since the last episode? How about we start with you, Rebecca? What have I been up to? Oh, I did my big trip up to Birmingham which was awesome yes Uh, so I went to uh, Verve's Poetry Night in Birmingham which I only I'd only really told Elizabeth McGoon that I was going because I crashed on her floor Uh, thank you very much for that Elizabeth really appreciate it (laughs) Uh, uh, but yeah so I'd only really told her so I just kept running into people going oh shit you're here which is it's very nice actually like they said it in the right tone of voice it wasn't oh shit you're here Um, oh no not that (laughs) but yeah people were really were like oh so it's just it's quite nice to have people pleasantly surprised to see you all evening so that was fun um, and it was just it was uh-huh. a really really good night so it was Selena Gordon it was mm. a repeat beat poet Elizabeth McGune was featuring Priyanka Josh who was great and Sam Grudgings who was hosting who was absolutely lovely like so much time in the world mm-hmm. for him um, so yeah and it was just it was a really really fun night ran into Jasmine Gardosi as well and yeah it's just it was a really cool night it was just nice to be in a slightly different scene where you don't know people so when other people get up and, and the people around you are really excited there's something quite fun about mm-hmm. that you know and you don't know I don't say you don't know why but yeah you're like oh I wonder what's coming like <laughs> they know really... something you don't yes yeah <laughs> um so it was really good fun I tell you what it was in the uh the glee club so like the big comedy club in Birmingham in like okay. the small room but it was the same night as in the main auditorium Jack Whitehall was performing so like there was this massive queue so I got there and was like this isn't the queue for poetry is it is it <laughs> and on one level I was kind of disappointed on the other level quite uh-huh. relieved because like it would have been a long queue so yeah so that was awesome um, and then what else have I been up to oh process was fantastic okay. as well um, yeah can't remember who was featuring there Laurie who was featuring at process can you remember I think Kaz Teague was featuring weren't ah, they? they were they were yeah, yeah. anybody else they, they, anyone else of note it might have been me it, it might, might have been, been me you. also doing a little you. feature <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah that was I, I I was about to say how I thought it went but that's not important what's important was how everyone else thought it went so <laughs> I don't know I had a good time it was it was a really it good was, set it was a lot of fun that was my first time going to process because I have been living in a cave for the last two and a half years um, <laughs> my attendance has been absolute crap and I am attempting to work on it um, but 
yeah, I had not been to a protest yet. I had seen the social media splashes every now and again. But yeah, that is a really proper mm-hmm. lovely night. Um, it was like, mm-hmm. I I finally kicked my ass out to go to it because you and Kaz were featuring. But no, that was that was a really, oh, really thanks. lovely one. Um, and oh God, I've forgotten like the sheer enthusiasm that Kaz brings to everything um, as well. Just like mm-hmm. in the audience yeah. when everything else... <laughs> the 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 it, it it's a it's a careful line to straddle well because everyone has been on stage where there is that one person in the audience who thinks that your patter to the whole audience is you and them having a conversation mm-hmm. and that yeah. person is well-intentioned hard work <laughs> uh-huh. um, but there is there there are some other people like Kaz Teague, or if you've ever been at a thing where Joel Taylor is hosting or in the audience like that, that just... It's very interactive, but it is just adding joy <laughs> to mm-hmm. the night. And, yeah. and they're, they're very good at, at the... picking out the moments to go, ooh, or oh, or, mm-hmm, mm, mm-hmm. in a way that makes yes, you go, mate. yeah, uh-huh. oh, that yeah. line landed. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's great. And yeah. that's, that's really nice, actually. Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. I did a little Halloween special set, which was nice, and did a lot of New poems, which uh, new was shit. fun to try them out, and Yay. yeah, <laughs> new, new shit. Yep, which uh, is always weird because I always write these things, and then about two years later, they're finally ready for me to go. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm going to read these in front of people. It's not usually two years. There's been a pandemic in the way, um, and then I read them, and then people laugh at them, and you're like, oh, I didn't realize this was a funny poem until suddenly <laughs> oh people were sort of laughing. That happens all the time. I'm always like constantly baffled by performing poems and realizing they're funny because I don't really realize <laughs> they are until suddenly people seem to be amused by them, which is really is, strange, but a lovely, a, pleasant surprise. Yeah. Okay, it's a good realization, not a you are mocking my most heartfelt. Well, I try and <laughs> try and roll with it on the stage and then I go home and have a little weep and then I'll probably write another poem about it. But uh, that's... Ironically, we are all laughing at that. That's usually how it was. See, it just happens. I don't know why. <laughs> I just say what comes into my head. Sometimes your mouth just does things and people's other mouths do this kind of weird chuckle sound. I mean, that's a description of lots of things, Laurie. So, uh, so, mm. so I, I swear, Laurie, also your delivery is getting more Stuart Lee over time. I think I said that to you on the night. Like, as, yeah. as your poems are getting more and more refined... It's not like you're you getting did through say the, that like, on the night. Yeah, there is, there is, there is a presence which is seems to be like if you were to draw a chart of like how refined your poems are getting, and then how much time you. T- I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Maybe I just don't like, have time for my poems anymore. I, my my <laughs> delivery is just me being slightly annoyed at my own work. Oh no, you're doing yeah. The Stuart Lee thing is the pauses. It's actually the, the yeah yeah yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna let that sink in, and then I'm gonna come back and say the funny thing in a slightly yeah. um, offhand way, and I still know you're gonna laugh, which is a very Stuart Lee energy. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, laughing laughing along to this and nodding enthusiastically uh, at, at our, our comments about things you don't necessarily know are funny and to see an audience is our guest for today kath blair normally we have a mystery voice actually what we've got here is a mystery giggle uh which i quite <laughs> a mystery, giggle. A mystery okay. giggle going on so yes yeah, so kath nice. was also at process what did you make of it i really enjoyed it i had an excellent time because yeah i i'd had been to some poetry stuff uh that month in an effort to be like you have to go out and do things <laughs> to see people and 
feel creatively inspired. And I'd not been to the venue that it's in, which is a tabletop like games cafe so I was like sitting in the bar beforehand being like this is a nice atmosphere it's on the river the lights are really low I can see the Olympic Park and it's very lovely and then to go down and be in a really sort of enclosed space that felt separate from the bar and didn't feel like the bar was intruding in any way Mm. because sometimes obviously Mm. poetry in London you're like oh you can hear the bar but it's perfectly soundproof so you felt very contained in that space and it Mm. was yeah it was really lovely and the Mm. open mic was really good and the performers were excellent lovely as well you whip out your best Liza Minnelli and uh, <laughs> call it a feature set yeah well there is going to be drag there in like two weeks so they do oh, do yeah. drag cabaret down there cool so uh, Hannah how about your poetry month so um I think the the main event uh the main in-person event has already been named um but we had Insight, um, the LGBTQ plus uh, poetry night that I host, which is online. Um, and I finally got hold of Antonia Jade King for a set. Um, and she has been on my list of people I have been asking on and off for ages. Um and there's a slightly strange thing when you when you book a night which is specifically lgbtq or any other specific identity there is this strange thing of keeping a mental rolodex of both who is an excellent poet whose stuff you like and also who fits that category and sometimes you can have people who are excellent and do are in that category but don't actually write a lot about it and therefore might not be as high in your mind necessarily for that but yes i was absolutely delighted to get aj and we had some incredible stuff on the open mic which i keep scribbling down notes on my extremely messy desk of like, that person should be poet, poet of the month. I'll tell Rebecca about them. And then I lose it because my desk is chaos. Or it was. <laughs> I'm getting a bit better. Um, and apart from that, I have mostly been dealing with real life. I have started a new job as of this week. Um, mm-hmm. And Whoop. I'm quite excited about it. Congrats. But yeah, I, I have been also finishing up a not not good job and talking to unions and... Dealing with all that weird crap, ending a workplace stuff. So yeah, my brain has been um, extremely full of less fun things, but now it is getting lighter and airier and there's more room and space in my life for cool shit like turning up to poetry. So I'm aiming to do a lot more of that real soon. Coming to a night near you, a ginger with a loud mouth (laughs) called Hannah. Um, (laughs) So yes, see you there, hopefully. Don't know. Wow. Amazing. And yeah, Laurie, apart from process, what's been going on for you? Apart from process, uh, which was a Halloween special, um, what have I been doing? I've been doing a few things. Uh, Yeah, we had Genesis Slam last night as of recording, which uh, was very lovely and also very strange in that the venue had also booked a film festival that was happening in the venue kind of everywhere, including in the bar which is where the slam happens and if you've got two events happening in the same space that's not always the most conducive for anybody regardless of what event they've turned up for poetry can defy physics but not quite like that poetry can defy physics you know what else can defy physics the volume which has um can shout at people who have attended for a film festival when they're making noise at the bar uh, in the middle of people's <laughs> poems. So apologies if you came along Good to that night last night. 
uh, as of recording and you had a less than stellar experience. We did get it cleaned up by the beginning of the second act, um, but uh, it wasn't the best. Uh, and massive props to the poets who kept going regardless when we had some quite bad noise issues. Um, yeah. So that was Genesis. That was a lot of fun. Um, been getting some more rejections, guys. Oh, Pump up the rejections before the end of the year. That's been good. Gotta catch them all. I've been reading some poetry books. I, I went to Crouch End and ended up buying too many poetry books, um, but in a good way. Um, I bought Peach Pig by Cecilia Knapp, which has just Ooh. come out. And that's a very nice little poetry book. I enjoyed reading it. I read it. I read it basically as soon as I bought it. It was great. I really recommend it. I also got hold of Roger Robinson new book which is called home is not a place and it's a collaboration with a photographer called johnny pitts um so the whole book is this beautiful hardback bound um edition with these full color photographs running through it that are almost kind of extra layers to the poems or even kind of poems in themselves reading the book They're, they're beautiful it's a really interesting collection it's all not all of it, but it's kind of a, a key theme running through the book is um, about non-white communities living specifically on the coast in the UK um, and black communities living on the coast in the UK, which is, I think, often, you know, there's a lot of kind of coverage, maybe this idea that urbanness goes with um, goes with being a person of colour Um which obviously is not the case at all. And it's really interesting that the book specifically ta- specifically grabs another geographic area and says, no, this is, um, the co- these are these communities that we're going to explore uh, in, this, in this book. It's really cool. I really enjoyed it. Um, so that's a recommendation. Uh, I've got a couple of other poetry books I haven't read yet. So that's what I will, I will do. But I did see in foils, um, the big foils in Charing Cross Road, uh, only previous guest to repeat beat poets book on display in the poetry Hi. section face out in oh, the wow. recommended section uh, and I picked it up uh, because I for some reason hadn't already but it was lovely to see that mm. full displayed you know ready to go because it should be yeah. like all of Peter's stuff and I love I love spotting poetry friends poems like books in the wild in a real like mm-hmm. big shop you're just like oh look I know that person and when they're face out yes. then you know yeah you know, somebody in the store has has acknowledged this book's existence which is great yeah <laughs> um amazing and yeah Kath how's your poetry month been um yeah process has been the the uh thing that I physically went to but I've also had a couple of pieces published in October which has been great um yeah one of them was published was a specifically Halloween poem that I actually performed at process um so it was like all tied into the theme there's a magazine called uh vinyl girl bulletin board which is specifically a horror uh like online journal and so I submitted my poem about uh the 1980s film reanimator which was also kind of about gender to them and they were like we love it we're gonna put it on which is amazing and they've Yay. all published my work previously so it's just like yeah i got a halloween poem for october i've done it nice job right shall we do an interview and find out a bit more about our our guests there and 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 their incredible talent for getting published in places 
Let's Heck do yeah. an interview. This month's interview is with Kath Blair. Kath Blair is a member of London Queer Writers and was one of the hosts of their LGBTQ plus poetry night, Speak Equal. In June 2017, she took part in creating A Poem for London at Spread the Words Young People's Laureate for London Poetry Lab and in 2019 was part of the Apples and Snakes project, The Writing Room. They've also most recently been published in Hell is Real, a Midwest anthology, Unthinkable, The Final Girl Bulletin Board and Jake magazine. Their microchap, Jesus Loves You, God Hasn't Decided Yet, is available as part of Ghost City Press's Summer Series 22. You can also find them watching horror movies alone in their room. Kath, thank you very much for joining us. It's wonderful to be here. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that sometimes. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, well, thank you for joining us. Would you like to kick us off with a poem? I would love to kick you off with a poem. Um, so this is called The Road Trip. The light came through the car in three places. It hit my mother like the pit of a cherry, a neat incision, almost surgical. She ate roasted chickpeas by the handful, pointed out landmarks of historical note. She did not know anything about them beyond their names, as informative as in a museum display card in a closed exhibit. The light came through the car in three places. It hit my father like a broken blood vessel, luminous as porridge with salt. He complained about the taillights of other drivers, only stopped to marvel at a red kite hovering above us. When the kite disappeared, so did my father's patience. The light came through the car in three places. It hit me like an underlined sentence, a loathing of library books burnished orange. I was the only one to see the head of the angel which I kept to myself. From the back seat, the destination was elusive like perfume, a half-remembered scent in a half-remembered place. Thank you. Ooh. Ooh. Gorgeous. She... That was really lovely. There were so many good lines in that. That you know when you know when somebody spits so many good lines at you and you're like, oh that one, oh that one, oh oh yeah. So that was amazing. <laughs> so we always like to kick off by asking our guests how they got into poetry. What was the starting point for you? So growing up. Poetry was kind of always in the house. Um, my parents, well, my dad really likes singer-songwriters who are also poets, you know, the Leonard Cohen and Bob Dylan variety. But then just sort of growing up, there were books in the house, like Britain's best-loved comic poems and things like that. Um, so there was always that kind of Spike Milligan, um, mm-hmm. Pam Ayres sort of floating around. Mm-hmm. But I would say I wouldn't, like I got into poetry as sort of spoken word poetry specifically when I was doing my A-levels and I discovered sort of button poetry and youth speaks on YouTube because that was that was sort of they were coming out while well, um, that era of that, those sorts of poems were kind of being very popular on places like Facebook and you could kind of have access to them in that way. So I would go on YouTube and I would find poets that I liked and I would convert them to mp3 and i would put them on my ipod nano and that's now a sentence that ages me in a really specific way because the ipod nano is obsolete text Mm -hmm. it's like obsolete technology now um and then when i went to university that's when i started to really write poetry and get involved in sort of poetry nights in london um i went to goldsmiths and debbie luxon who i 
sort of ended up working with in London Queer Writers, ran the English Pen Society. And for the first event that they did for Freshers' Week, they had Joel Taylor perform in a tiny cafe in Newcross. So very intimate location. I had gone because it seemed like a cool society to join because obviously English Pen is a really wonderful organisation and I wanted to be involved with that. Um, And that was sort of the start of like, oh, let's write and go to these places. And I started to go and meet people and form connections. And that was kind of the kickstarting of being involved in spoken word, but then also at uni studying poetry in a very intense way. Um, If you do English with like no fancy extras, which I used to describe to people, it's like, I do straight English, so I don't do it with like creative writing or history or drama. you would study poetry for the whole of your first year as one of your modules and then you could take it in different ways during the second and third year so for my second year I had renaissance and romanticism which had big poetry sections and then I took modern poetry for third year and also I wrote my dissertation on Anne Carson's autobiography of red which is a novel in verse um for which I received a first um um, and it's yeah it's one of my prouder achievements um, just did a uh-huh. Well, I mean, I got and a 2-1 overall, but really... my dissertation specifically got a first, so I'm like, uh. <laughs> quite proud of it. Um, but it was such an involvement with poetry as an art form and sort of studying it and then going to these nights. There was kind of two different like channels in which I was experiencing that work. So that was, yeah. And then what happened next? Oh, and then I started getting published. <laughs> um, and <laughs> Yeah, which... he just made that jump. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Yeah, and then yeah, it's it's like magic. You just do the work, and then suddenly it appears places. Um, no, it's it's a process that obviously involves a lot of rejection, and is a interesting process to go through because the first rejection is heartbreaking because you think it's your fault that your work hasn't been accepted, and then you are on your five hundredth, and you're like, you you read the email and to see if they've like recommended other places for you to submit or whether they've got constructive feedback and then it's just like gone out of your mind move on to the next thing mm-hmm. yeah i think there is something different about submitting to like su- submitting work to journals whereas like if you get up on stage like people aren't gonna not clap for you because they clap for somebody else right so they are gonna and you get that kind of that really positive reinforcement very quickly um Mm. and then yeah getting published actually can take a little bit longer and so you're like well maybe it is just shit whereas i know i find Mm. the experience of going up on stage is a bit more like oh okay they quite like that maybe this isn't maybe i'm not bad at this yeah it's a very different reaction because a lot of times submitting to journals is such an involved process because you have to do a lot of research about like by reading the journal and that's the biggest thing is you've got to read where you're submitting to to see if your work is even a good fit for that space Mm -hmm. um and so you go through a process of like okay this is i think that this poem or this short story works i'm going to submit then you you know it's writing the cover letter it's using all the different platforms that journals use like submittable or olieda and then you kind of it's gone it's in the universe and depending on how much they're receiving it might take anywhere between like in some cases i've had i have yeah. had acceptances that were like i sent it and i got an acceptance 12 minutes later and then <laughs> wow. i've had where it's been sitting yeah it was to be fair they requested it on twitter from me first so that that expediated that response um but yeah then you have the other end of the spectrum where for the bigger lit journals, it's going to be sometimes 
eight, like six to eight months because they have such a yeah. backlog that they have to get to before they even get time for your work. So yeah. yes, sometimes you'll submit something and then you'll forget about it and then you'll get an email that either rejects or accepts it. And you're like, I forgot that I sent that to you. Oh my God. Yay. Or in some cases, well, that works free again. Let's see where else it can go. Yeah. yeah. I do think of you as somebody that's very successful at getting your work into journals. And yeah, I just wondered like, yeah, how, how do you approach that? And and you so we were talking about sort of reading the, the um, journals to make sure that your work is right for them. How do you go about assessing whether kind of your work is right for a particular journal and that journal is right for your work? Journals will have submission guidelines and yeah, some of them will be airy-fairy and very like, they'll have a bunch of nouns for what they want their work to be. But more often than not, if you read a, a wide selection, so not just poetry, you read the, the fiction that they're publishing or you read um, some, some of the like non-fiction that they, they're publishing, you can kind of understand what vibe they have and what they actually like in terms of the style of writing rather than necessarily the content. Because more often than not, if your work has a particular voice, that people enjoy that voice. It doesn't necessarily matter what you've written about. People are going to enjoy it and want to publish it and want to engage with it. I have got poems that are such a wide range of subject matter and it's because it's I have a very distinctive way of writing that people resonate with and that's why it's gone into certain spaces. And there are journals where it's, um, it's not necessarily that they don't like your work, it's just that when they are putting together that magazine issue, your work doesn't fit with the theme that's emerged so it's not that it's not necessarily good it's more the fact that they have got other pieces that are that work together and flow together and your piece stands out as like as, and is jarring in that sense so they want you to resubmit them and to give you more of their work it's just then and it'll be maybe the next issue or the issue after that and in some cases there are journals that i'm still sending work to who haven't published me yet in a sort of determined thing of one <laughs> one day you will have my work in here i've just got to like find the right thing and it's got to be the right editor at the right time who wants mm. that piece and who really finds that piece interesting and yeah i think don't take a rejection like an initial rejection is like oh they don't like the style of my work just like keep submitting to them because when journals say it's not right for right now but we do want to see more of your work they they do mean it it's not a platitude it's interesting you were sort of saying you've you've got quite a distinctive voice because I, I think that's I think that like that that is true. How would you describe your voice? I, I'm curious. I think um, clarity of image is definitely one of the things that I I'm very direct in how I describe images, and that's something that I've noticed in in my work and that it's not necessarily a sparseness of style, but there's a sort of needle point of like this is the specific thing I'm talking about or the image that I want to convey. And then in talking to other people about my work, um, in certain pieces, uh, yearning is definitely a theme that comes up, a sense of wanting mm -hmm. something that is just out of reach. Um, uh -huh. Which is, yeah, it's interesting to have a conversation with somebody else who like identifies that in your work. Because you're like, mm, I feel seen in a very particular way and I'm not quite <laughs> sure how to kind of deal with that sense of being seen. Semi-psychoanalyzed. like Yeah, uh -huh. uh, writing is... Poetry in, in particular is such a bearing of your soul in such a specific way. Like you can write things in such a, like it's a fugue state and you've just written this poem and then you realize that you're processing or dealing with something and you'll look back at it and you're like, mm, that's really obvious what I'm dealing with actually. I didn't realize when I was writing it, but there's a lot of 
emotions or certain like things I'm thinking about or processing that's there maybe we should put that one aside we'll come back to that later when when it's not so new and raw mm-hmm. you definitely need to do that otherwise you just end up with this just like why doesn't anybody love me just written 50 million times on one on one piece of paper and that's probably necessary that's probably definitely going to get that rejection letter um, it's the biggest that- snitch of like what's going on with you and your life is is your writing and is your work and oh the themes that you're returning to like, uh there's there's a whole series of my like work when I was at university that was unpacking Catholic school trauma, mm-hmm. and it was very much about recontextualizing that relationship with God and like Catholic churches are just great like they went off on stained glass and gold and all of these different things like the beauty of that architecture the, the fact that they are specifically designed so that you feel God in that space. And to also have that strange feeling of like, well, certain people in the space don't want me to to feel that. They don't want me to feel mm. transcendence. They don't want me to feel as if I belong in this space. So unpacking all of that and realizing that that having moved on and having enough like time and distance from Catholic school to actually talk about it and to actually think about what it meant for me to be mm. in that space meant that, yeah, there were a lot of poems about God, which, yeah, my chat you you said the title of my chat book in uh, earlier but um yeah i'm just like exploring all of that and being like okay so this this period of my work is this this is my like my catholic period mm-hmm. and then next like we'll see what happens like later on what will that period look like sort of like an artistic movement in that way so when i read jesus loves you god hasn't decided yet certainly that yearning and certainly <laughs> that god were two mm. big things coming through in the pam- in the I want to say pamphlet, but it's defined as a micro chat, which is a term I'd never heard before. Yeah, it's only nine poems. So, mm-hmm. Ghost City Press every year do a summer series, and the they anyone can submit, but you've got a very limited number. I think it's yeah, like n- between nine and ten pieces of work. And mm-hmm. so th- throughout the summer, and they define the summer as like starting sort of end of May, going all the way through to sort of beginning of september they will publish mm-hmm. a certain number of like these micro traps throughout the throughout that period and the way that it works is that people can sign up and have it delivered directly to their inbox so they get a new email for all these different micro traps and then you can also download them from the website and i had been submitting full pamphlets to places but realizing that the work contained within was just sort of a selection of my work there wasn't necessarily a coherence between it but those god Mm. poems did fit together and there were these nine poems that i really thought had a narrative or had a space together Mm. and thought i was like well there's nine of them and they want nine poems so let's see what happens (laughs) and i had that title in my back pocket in terms of like it was just sort of sitting in a notebook somewhere and it's really good like it's a really good title i'm so like smug with it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> even if you um, do yeah. say so yourself uh-huh. yeah i was uh, like unbelievably smug when i came up with that and i was just like this is fantastic i'm gonna die to save it and so submitted it and they they were they were really pleased and i even got to pick the date of which it was published mm-hmm. so i chose the feast of corpus christi which is a like a catholic saint's day and was like yeah it's all themed uh-huh. together it all comes out there and then also another part is like that's my 
body physically um the image on the chat book is my body because they needed an image and your own my own body's not copyrighted so um i was like scrambling through my dad's desk looking for his rosary and then we just like we caught the light at the right time and like yeah put it together sent it off to them and yeah so that was like that's a fun extra tidbit is that uh yeah the the cover is me and so that it feels very personal also in that way because i had to like come up with this cover image and managed to put together a photograph that that worked talking of strong titles in within the microchap is a poem psalms like it hot mm. yeah. <laughs> oh, just that's so good yeah. yeah i love a clever title um there's a lot of my work recently has either got really long titles or like clever titles because there's something very fun about about it I have a poem that's with rejected letters where the poem itself is one line and the title is several lines. Mm-hmm. And it really is just set up and punchline. <laughs> but yeah. it was a really fun thought exercise to be like, okay, so what if the whole poem is basically the title and then it's this mm-hmm. one line that is a joke and like comes together in that way. So it's like it was a fun space to play in and it was also like a good a, like, a way of trying something new and having it pay off with sort of publication in that sense. Yeah, I say yeah. I do love puns rather more than is appropriate as a journalist. Like it's <laughs> it's a bit cheesy, but I do find that if you could find the right pun in a poem, everybody kind of goes, "Oh, what a clever thing with language, and what an interesting metaphor!" And you're like, "It's just it's a pun. It's a very, but it, yes. yeah, yeah, but it's a tarted up pun. Yeah, yeah, you can frame it in the right is way. Is it and... Do you get it, folks? Exactly, exactly. Oh, yeah, a hundred percent. So you were. You were part of running London Queer Writers, um, and mm. which is a sort of community. You run various workshops and then also speak equal the night, both explicitly queer. What impact mm. does it have for you to create specific spaces within poetry for specific identities? I mean, in this case, queer, but like there are obviously other nights with other specific slants but also i am really nosy to um pick your brain as someone who also runs a queer night Mm. how do you maintain that space as a queer space in a welcoming way rather than a fuck off straighty way because (laughs) i i have struggled with this myself i think i think i walk the line okay but i would love to hear about yeah it's probably getting rid of your t-shirt, Hannah, that says fuck off straighty. That's yeah. Straight people are bad. Your uniform, I think you call it, right? Mm. Yeah. No, it just, it, mm, yeah. So, like, I, I would like to pick your brain about that, but sure. yeah. Like. So, for context for people who don't know about London Queer Writers, it was started in the summer of 2017 when Natasha Gilbert so it basically sent me a message Uh, on Facebook like you're queer and you write do you want to come to this thing I'm organizing and I was like I am queer and I do write so I do want to come to the thing that you're (laughs) organizing and it really it started off as just queer people meeting in a space to write together and then I wasn't initially involved in the creation of Speak Equal Um, that was like a different group of people came together and they wanted to do a queer night and they wanted to do a specifically LGBT poetry night and so my involvement with that was like I'm just somebody who really likes to help so I was like I'll do anything just give me a task I love doing a task I will like just facilitate and so I started off um just helping out with the projection screen and timing people. So I was responsible for like, this is your five minutes. If I'm going to turn the music up on you, if you go over the five minutes. 
and that kind of evolved into taking on a hosting role and being involved in that sense of like helping to run the night and being the face mm. of the night and we did it so that there were other hosts as well so that one person wasn't committed but um mm. during the pandemic I was the one person with the sort of most time and able to commit so when we did do speak equal online I was sort of there most of the time and in terms of creating a queer space and creating like a sense of community it is very much about making sure everybody has fun in that space and that is the core goal like it is a poetry mm. night and it was a poetry space but really it was just about facilitating play a place where people could come and enjoy themselves that they knew instantly that everyone in the room would just get it when they would perform certain work mm. or would just be able to have conversations and we were very when we were in person one of the big things that the hosts were sort of trying to push as much as possible was getting people talking to each other between like between sets between like when people would go obviously to the bathroom or go for a smoke and making sure that people who did not know each other tried to speak to each other because we wanted Equally. it to be yeah like yeah to sort of speak equal as the like this very fun uh sort of pun but also as a thing of like if you want to form a community, you've got to talk to each other. Mm. And so to, like, if yeah. you want it to be a community space and you want it to be somewhere that you feel safe in, then you should talk to people you don't know because that's how communities are formed. So we were all very, like, I was obviously very, like, flirty with it. And I was like, everybody should mingle. Everyone should go and talk to someone they don't know and trying to be very, like, tongue-in-cheek with it to make it less mm -hmm. scary. But ultimately what we wanted was that it, was a place that people could come and share work and we platformed queer artists and we wanted people to like know that we were platforming queer artists but also as a, as a space that was like safe to talk to other people in mm -hmm. mm. i always thought it was speakful for about six months yeah before everyone thinks it's it. speakful like everyone made that joke and that we should have called it speakful and i had to like <laughs> friends would make that joke and i was like i was not part of the naming committee i didn't get a choice of what it no, was it called evol it evolved really quickly through <laughs> mm. different people and through different hands and mm. it was it's funny to have a project like that where I mean Genesis is a bit like that it's gone through mm. it's just evolved so much over time you know it's been going for well over 10 years um and yeah like LQW and Speak Equal like the the kind of core of it or the group of it you know from an outside perspective seems to have kind of shifted or you know lineup changes and things like that which mm. is I don't know not it's it's not a bad thing at all but it's funny that it it's a sign of resilience that it's carried on throughout yeah. those kind of changes yeah we people obviously have different levels of commitment and it was like uh, natasha had invited so many people that there was enough people mm. that it was kind of like if you can't make it that like somebody else is able to help out and fill this slot in a sense and mm -hmm. I dropped out of having the group a text really early because yeah, I could not which, keep up. Yeah, you know, it's you know, it's fair because like it was it was like it was a crazy amount of people, and most of those people did not return in terms of in, in consistency and in, and sort of a core group of people who wanted to keep it going. It, it emerged from that, but we were very much a sort of space where it's where we wanted to kind of keep those connections with people who who weren't coming regularly because it was it wasn't necessarily about like this core group being cliquey we wanted to make sure that people who 
people could come whenever they felt like it and that there was no expectation there. So if you couldn't commit all the time, it didn't mean that you weren't welcome um, and to try and maintain that. And then we had sort of people who who were very much, I like, I like doing it in person. And so I only feel like I could commit in person. I can't necessarily do the online space in the same way. And we were like, that's fine. Okay. When we, hopefully, if we come back to being in person, it, it's difficult because people moved outside of London, um, myself included. So, and we're sort of thinking about how we would like to come back and what we can do to come back. But yeah, just being able to be kind of relaxed with it and be like, hey, we this is what we want to facilitate or this is what we want to be doing. How do we do that? Who has capacity? Okay, you do. Let's form this little group of people from the, the sort of pool of volunteers and you can go and head with this project and pull it forward. Um, and yeah, making sure that nobody feels that they have to like be 100% in all of the time because that's not mm. feasible. Like mm. that's how you get burnout. That's how you have people dropping yep. off because they don't have the time or the resources to be able to give 100% of themselves to something. And have you found, have there been issues in running Speak Equal of maintaining it as a queer space? I ask as someone who's had people turning up going, oh, I'm not gay, but I'm autistic, or I'm not gay, but I've got some mental health stuff. So that's the same, right? And it's i've always found it an interesting like the the basic answer is that is a disadvantage they're not all the same <laughs> you're a demographic in the same way being lgbt is a demographic but yeah. it's not the yeah. same experience mental yeah. illness and queerness are only the same if it's the 70s right like <laughs> oh god yeah that's a point yeah and and i did have someone who sort of kept turning up on open mic and then turned out to be straight but i basically twigged because even when they tried to write or perform what they thought was queer stuff, they were they were thinking in strange cliches because they weren't. And like and that's the reason that we have the queer space is so that it is somewhere that there is a basic understanding that is shared to some degree. Um, but also I feel very strange about setting down lines in the sand for an identity which yeah. is in degrees, right? Yeah, you never want to look like you're policing a queer space. Um, right. It's a really difficult line to... Like, it's a difficult needle to thread because you want to make sure that you're giving space to people who are part of the LGBTQ community and, and want, like, want to speak about their experiences and you don't want people to misuse the platform that they've been given. And we did have issues where people would, because we, we didn't necessarily say you had to be LGBTQ for the open mic, but we were, but mm -hmm. our features were. So we did have incidents where people um, did not like trigger warn appropriately for some of the stuff. So there was a gun violence po poem that somebody did not trigger warn appropriately. And so we had to deal with that. And there was definitely, there was an incident where somebody, it was a guy who'd come in to do a poem about whiteness that I cannot even remember lines from, but we turned the music up on him early because the whole room just like you can you know when you feel a room pull back even though they're not doing it physically mm. you can kind of get that sense and that and then he obviously immediately scarpered and did not want to be held accountable for any of his actions so it wasn't that speak equal never had problems it's just our way of dealing mm. with them was um obviously like having so many people in that space not just being one person not just being like one host having like people who were 
So like actually, yeah, somebody was a photo- like our photographer was part of sp- was part of LQW. The person on the door, like we had, uh, Yasna Kati acted as our safe space officer because they have specific training in how in sort of therapy and things like that. Ah. And so we made we set up somebody who was physically in the room who's who was our this person. If you are feeling scared or upset or the or something has happened you go and talk to this person or you can or talk to anybody in the room about what's happened and kind of maintaining an eye like a, a physical presence in that space of like this is a person who can help you and will sit with you and you can just talk through some stuff if, even if somebody's like content warned appropriately like you, if you've been affected we want you to come and talk to us and trying to maintain open lines of communication so that when incidents do happen and they come up, they're not they don't define that evening and we try and deal mm. with them as appropriately as possible, whether that's having a conversation with the person who's performed or making sure that the rest of the night doesn't dwell on that, being like, Hey, so just a reminder, like these are our safe space officers for the night. You can talk to them. Anyway, we're gonna move on to this thing. I get really excited about the feature we're gonna have and making mm. sure that yeah, this space remains like happy and joyful. And acknowledging that that has happened, but not letting it take centre stage. I think it is the challenge of r- running a night. You you just you're dealing with the public and everything that can entail. Yeah. But then in it can a space, feel very much like work. <laughs> yeah. But then in a space where it's very emotive, and then for, like specifically with with queer nights, with ex- an extra layer of stuff. You have to tell yeah. the film festival people to <laughs> shut up. That kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Like, be quiet. We're doing really serious, important work here, and you're ru- harshing our vibes. You're ruining our mellow. Listen to these puns. Mm. People came all this way to do this poetry. But yeah, it's very, it's such a privilege and an honour to be a host um, and to facilitate that kind of space. Um, mm. I, Because I, I love hosting because it's such an excellent combination of being the centre of attention, but nobody's there to see you. <laughs> so I get to... <laughs> I like it's I get to make attention in a way. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I get to make sure that everyone is having a good time and that like I'm making jokes or and or I like warm up the mic with my work, but my work is not the focus. So I don't I'm not like constantly thinking about like like what I'm going to say about my work or perform because yeah. I no no one's there to see me. They want to see the features. So let's like yeah, get mm. everybody hype, make sure like reading out bios and making sure that everybody like is enjoying themselves and it feels such a great honor to be able to do that. It's such mm. a wonderful space to be in and to be like and it's yeah, I just I I love having that opportunity um and making sure that people feel welcome and that they're having a good time without sort of the sort of neurotic voice at the back of your head being like worrying about your work because you're not doing your own work you're yeah. like making sure everyone else is excited for other people so yeah it's a wonderful joy to be able to do it I've had conversations with other poets where they go oh I get really nervous about hosting I really don't like hosting I'm like hosting's hosting's a blast hosting's so easy because you do your one bit you might do a poem but then it's like right okay this person this is why this person's cool right let's have them okay next person and you just keep it moving mm. and it's a yeah, you're very just... energetic thing but it's mm. it's a I do some... it's also kind of easy mm. <laughs> and yeah I do sometimes find that I don't appreciate all of the poems that I'm hearing because part of me is like checking up yeah. my intro ready for the next person and trying to select something yeah. to say about the one that's just happened. Yeah, there's there's a bit of... If it's a slam, you're also doing maths. Mm. Oh, God, yeah. 
Yeah. I think that was the benefit of having multiple people in a room is that someone is responsible for time. So I, as the host, don't have to yeah. worry about time because that person is making sure we run to time. And someone else is taking photographs. So you know that that person's going to have all the lovely pictures of tonight. And that person's on the door taking people's money. So yeah, there is sort of... The, having numbers is really handy because you're not res- doing everything. You're not like spinning all the plates. Mm. Everyone's helping you to spin the plates by like taking the burden yeah. of work off. I mean, I will say, I think you're distinctive contribution to the team as well at Speak Equal was very much being the best dressed person in the room. Um, <laughs> and every poetry night, yes, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, Laurie, that's, what, that's something that you wrote in my copy of Biceps when I ordered it. That's probably <laughs> like, true. He was like, thanks for the support and for being the best dressed poet in the room. And I was like, well, Laurie's written so- it in a book, so it must be true. Well, I also <laughs> want to apologise to Alexander Woody Woodward because uh, I think... Uh, that's a close, it's a close round. It's a tie. Mm. <laughs> I th- yeah, we've got different aesthetics, so we're hitting different yeah. uh, coolness points, I guess, in terms of style. But yeah, fashion, I think, is a very important part of my life. Um, and I love clothes and I love being sort of well-dressed and doing my makeup and all of these things because it is part of getting on stage and doing the character of who I am mm-hmm. on stage. So if I look great, people are g- going to remember that and my work. <laughs> They're going to be like, that outfit's really cool. Also, the things that that poet is saying are amazing. So, yeah, it's a sort of two punches, double whammy of looking great, but also the work kind of backs that up. So um, your day job when you're not on stage or when you're not writing poetry uh, is uh, in publishing. And I just wondered, how does that kind of affect how you write or how you think about poetry? Does it have an impact? So I started off working for a library publisher specifically. So it was books that were going straight to libraries. They weren't mainstream. They weren't hitting bookshops. Bookshops could order them, but that wasn't the target demographic. And while I was working there, I was sort of you know writing and not necessarily thinking about poetry because I was. It was just fiction. Like it was only fiction work, and they would be things like crime series that were like thirty books in a series, and it's yeah. the same detective just going to a different location every time. But then I started working as an ebook coordinator, and that really changed my perspective in terms of poetry and how it works when it is in the printed form. Because poetry is is something that ebook teams take very seriously because it's quite hard to make them into ebooks, in the sense mm-hmm. that you don't want to jeopardize an artist's artistic integrity and the choices that they've made. But how do you make it accessible at the same time? So yeah. ebooks works in two formats. It's either reflowable or it's fixed layout. And reflowable, it adjusts to the different screen reader that it's on. And fixed layout is kind of like an image in that it's one-to-one with print. And mm-hmm. there are benefits to both formats and they work in different ways. A lot of children's titles will be fixed layout because they're picture books and there's a lot of illustrations. So you yeah. want to maintain what it looks like within the book. Um, and then sort of reflowable means that um, you kind of it'll because it Moves. adjusts how does that look in each space and part of my job as an ebook coordinator is is checking ebooks and making sure that they look right on the different screen readers but yeah it's sort of poets that play around with negative space what does that look like on an ebook yeah how does that work in that space so it really kind of opened my eyes to why publishers make certain decisions and why having conversations with the artists are so important in mm-hmm. making your work accessible because 
you want to make sure that everything is everything reflects what that poem's supposed to be, but also you don't want to push people out and make sure that they can't read that work. And, you know, fixed layout has its perks because it is one-to-one with print. You do get to see what the artist intended, but also that means that 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 has to be image described then. Okay, so what does image description look like? How do people use those screen readers to have their poems image described? Are you still getting the same effect? Are they getting the full experience? And mm. with ebooks, the main con- sort of concern or the main goal is is reader enjoyment and reader experience and anything that's detrimental to that has to go because it's got to work on that platform so it's really opened my eyes in terms of where I be lucky where I you know if I was lucky enough to get a full collection published how would it go about turning it into e and what would I be willing to compromise in order to mm. make sure that it is accessible because I think that is a conversation we've had before on the book review one I don't actually know if I left it in but where I've run a bit late and ordered a, a poetry book on Kindle and you guys were having conversations about oh I thought the line length was really interesting or the way they laid it out on the page was really mm. interesting and I was like sorry what I yeah yeah you, it was Will Harris's yeah book that did Rendang mm. yeah um so yeah, it's really interesting that it is something that is kind of considered, you know, by some publishers clearly and not by all of them. And and really, like, it's up to the artist as much as it is about, like, the publisher. Like, ebooks make a concerted effort to ask what the poet wants and explain to the best of our ability, like, this is how ebooks are coded, this is what it'll look like. Um, Kindle and Apple obviously have very different platforms Mm. and will look different one of the big things with kindle obviously is that amazon are very protective of their coding and how they code ebooks so when we send a file to them there's sort of an extra step that they go to so you can't always guarantee what something's going to look like on a kindle because Mm. amazon's so protective of of their own of their own sort of software Mm. so you can only make certain promises in that case but we do our best every single time to make it as beautiful as possible and to make sure that it it is something that the artist would want there's also the very basic barrier that a lot of uh poetry in the uk is independently published and Mm. therefore there's no budget to do an ebook in any form whatsoever so Mm. then you get the 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 huge disadvantage of whether nobody gets an ebook version of it. Yeah, um, ebooks all. are a, like I've I've learned through through this role, but like it's they're coded in a very complicated way. Like it's a lot of effort and work to make sure that an ebook is coded. It is a very complicated process. So yeah, of course that's not accessible to independents who are just having enough money to do print runs yeah so yeah the sort of the big five publishers it's the onus really is on them to make sure that their stuff is as accessible as possible because they have the budget to do it and there's really no excuse otherwise to not make an effort and to make sure that their ebooks are as wonderful as their print editions are Uh, so i think when um whenever i'm editing for other people one of the first things i say to any poet when i'm working with them is um, it, because they'll give me whatever it is their manuscript or their pamphlet mm. or whatever it is and I look at it and I go this is in A4 and mm. that's not what this is going to look like and you've spent so much time pressing up the lovely line mm. breaks and all the white space and immediately I'm going to wreck it because I'm going to put it in whatever the actual width of the page is going to be for your preferred publisher mm. and as soon as I do that 
all your formatting screwed and you have to completely rethink the white space immediately. Um, so I don't know, just poets, if you're putting together a manuscript, think about how wide the page is going to be. Yeah, it's really important. Literally anything else. <laughs> yeah. By all means, experiment with that white space. Like, do what you have to do in order to get the meaning across and to honour your art. But yeah, if you're going to be in a print edition or you're going to have an e-edition, they're not going to necessarily look how how you first drafted them or how you necessarily want them to be. And that's a compromise you have to make in yeah. order for it to be in that space. I think the best way to kind of counteract that is to be thinking in those, in at least the, the vague dimensions of the page before mm. you start. Um, but yeah, that's that's my two cents on layout. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> that's some advice for free. Um, <laughs> fonts are a really important thing as well because you you know fonts are licensed. Oh boy, yeah. You and not every yeah. publisher has access to every single font in the world, so mm-hmm. it's it, it is interesting to know with fonts. Like a lot of poets obviously write in pretty fonts because they want their work to look pretty and printed and typefaced, but. Mm-hmm. if your publisher doesn't have access to that type of font, you're going to have to change it. So you're going to have to like come to terms with the fact that it's not going to be E.B. Garamond forever. It might have to be in Times New Roman <laughs> oh, no. or, or in some cases, Comic Sans. Oh. So speaking of advice, uh, did you have mm. a piece of advice or a prompt for our listeners? My advice for uh, people listening is literally just write whatever you want to write. Like, don't ever write anything that you feel that you have to. Just Poetry is such an interesting art form because it is so highly regarded and yet no one is paying attention necessarily to what we're doing. (laughs) So take advantage of that and write the poems that you want to write because you'll enjoy it a lot more if your work is authentic to what actually interests you rather than feeling that you have to write something or that you have to be contributing your voice to a certain idea. Like, I... I am not somebody who necessarily writes political poetry because political art is a practice. You have to practice at it to make it good. You, you can't just like write a poem and then it's like, oh, it's political. It's like, no, that's an intent. That's a full intention yeah. that you have to go in in order to make that art work. And it's not that I'm not a, in, you know, invested in politics or don't care about it. It's just that my work would be lacklustre and it wouldn't capture what it's needed because I've not done the years of craft work to make it good Hmm. and you know there are people who think well you're old you know you're a queer person so you should be writing queer political poetry it's like well it wouldn't be very good would it it (laughs) it would just be something that i'm not necessarily interested in and something that other people have written a thousand times better so no i will write my poems that like are about subjects i enjoy and are about things that capture my interest because the work will actually be good and enjoyable so so, sorry, go on. So, to the listener out there who is contemplating that pamphlet that is each poem is a different pantoum for each film in the Pink Panther series, including the remakes with Steve Martin, that's what they've got to do. A hundred percent. Like, a perfect example of this is I had a short story published recently and the short story is about a drunk dog at an intergalactic dog show who is so drunk that all they crave is Taco Bell. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> like and that like the person like so I submitted it to a magazine that's called Taco Bell Quarterly and literally the whole thing is that you have to get like Taco Bell somewhere in your work and that's the whole wow. conceit 
Um, and also, it's it's a great magazine because they have decided that their arch nemesis is the Paris Review. So they are <laughs> trying to knock down the gatekeeping of literary journals like the New Yorker and the Paris Review, but they're going like they're going for the Paris Review's throat, um, which is fantastic, <laughs> and we love to see it. But unfortunately, it didn't get into that journal because yes, an example of something that was they loved it, but it wasn't right for the for that particular issue that they were building. So I put on Twitter, it's like, I have this story and I like, does anyone want it? And that was published in Jake magazine because Jake reached out to be like, yes, we would love to read this. This sounds really cool. And then I sent it off. So yeah, in, write what brings you joy. Because <laughs> there is an audience for it. So where can people find out more about you? So you can follow me on Twitter at uh, whattheblair, on Instagram at urban underscore barbarian. Um, Please follow me on Instagram. My outfits are so good. I really need people to see them. (laughs) And you get very good photos taken of yourself as well. Yeah, I'm very lucky to have uh, people in my life who are good at taking photographs of me. Uh, It's a a (laughs) highly sought after skill. Um, But yeah, I really love to share what I'm wearing. I'm also somebody who like cosplays and likes to do um, sort of vintage fashion. So it's always nice to like this is what I've been wearing this week in my makeup and I looked great and I want to preserve that. Um, but I also have a website, which is where all of my like lists of published work are, which is www.kblair.co.uk, which is super handy because um, it is my name. Um, and yeah, so every time I get published, I update my website with that link. Um, and there, yeah, you can find me in so many different, my work in so many different places uh, in the last sort of, month i was published in a short story like queer gothic anthology called unthinkable which is available to buy if you go to your local bookshop and ask for it they can order it in um it's published by haunt publishing who are an independent publisher in scotland so please go and buy that because it's full of amazing stories um i've been published in the uh bad betty press's anthology of bad betty's um engendered lit did a vernal equinox uh like anthology that I'm in which has a poem uh, about gender identity and the musician Orville Peck and it's got accompanying art which is also really cool um so yeah I'm go to my website click on all the links that are there please go and get my chat book my micro chap uh because you can donate a micro money. chap sounds like a very small man it's a very a micro chap a tiny man <laughs> he's a tiny man and he'll read you my nine poems <laughs> Oh, it's me, the micro chap. I sailed, Spot. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you could hire him to come to your house and he'll read my nine poems to you and you should tip him. <laughs> Excellent. In the meantime, in the absence of your micro chap, uh, can we have another poem from you to play us out? I thought I would read one that's featured in the micro chap as sort of like a little teaser. Um, this so one. A, t- a tiny teaser for the micro chap. Um, This one is called Soft Apocalypse. The world unpeeled like an orange and everything that spilled out was sweet bitter. Already dead stars tumbled out of the sky. Books grew poisonous fungi instead of words. Fur coats turned back into animals and ran through the streets singing to the sodden moon. Slowly and then all at once, we were standing in an empty house on an empty street our tongues failing to articulate how it used to be. How quickly we adapt to difference. 
Our restless hands, desperate to create, we grew various fruits in that abandoned garden. Clementines, segmented for sharing. Cherries for stem-tying competitions. Pomegranates for remembered tragedies. There are things I miss, like perfectly organised shelves in supermarkets and knowing the weather forecast in advance. But my reflection is not one of them. I only know what I look like based on how tenderly you kiss me. I'm glad tenderness still exists. I'm glad I still exist here with you. People want to know if we'll survive. I think we will. This month's book is Blue Horses by Mary Oliver, which was chosen by Rebecca. So Rebecca, why did you choose this book? I chose this book because Mary Oliver is one of those poets that kind of everybody seems to have like a favourite poem from her. It's usually the geese one. Um, But it's like, yeah, it's one of those ones that she will be knocking around the internet and somebody will repost it on a day they're feeling sad or sad day they're feeling hopeful or whatever. And I just Mm -hmm. thought, oh, actually... That would I've never I've never really sat and read a full collection of hers, so I thought I'd do that. And I picked this one because for another reason than I like horses. And <laughs> I went, oh, horses! Um, and they're blue. <laughs> they're blue. They're blue. You can get blue horses. Well, they're blue. Abadie, abadie. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. called blue roans. Uh, they're actually sort of a weird grey colour, but they're called blue roans. So. Are they blue? Um, no, it's like a it's 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 where they have like a black coat and then the fur is sort of shot through with white. So it's sort of it looks almost like static. Okay. So yeah, that was my incredibly artistically sound reason for choosing this book. Okay, that sounds like a good reason to recommend any book. So what did you make of it, Rebecca? Now that you've read Blue Horses, not just yes, not just read, read the title of Blue Horses. There were bits of it that I really, really loved. Um, and then there were bits of it where I kind of went, I don't really know what's going on here or why. Um, but there were, and I often found often within the same poem, perhaps, that there would be kind of paragraphs that I was like, oh, this is the bit that, um, uh, that, that kind of everybody would repost from this poem or that would be the kind of emotional core of it. And that would be really succinct and really brilliant. And then, a lot of the other stuff coming into it, I was like, I don't know where it's going. I don't know where this is going. Oh, okay, this is where it's going, which I did quite enjoy. Um, but yeah, then there were also poems where I was a bit like, meh, didn't love that. But yeah, then there were, then there were some poems where I was like, oh, this is this is beautiful. Which there, there bits poems... did you like, that, did you think worked better for you than mm. First uh-huh. yoga lesson. Uh, that was a taster for really our book club it. mini episode, which will be out later this month, wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> Now it's time for the notice board, where we spotlight 10-ish opportunities to look out for where you can perform your work or submit it for publication and also just stuff we think is cool. Rebecca, what have you got? Uh, So first up for us, I have got this month uh, Bad Betty Live. So our friends over at Bad Betty Press, the wonderful Jake and Amy, um, uh, they are basically showcasing poets they think are great. Uh, And that is on the 10th of November at St. John's Hoxton, which is also just a very cool venue. I'm sure we've said this on the podcast before, but it's... If you get bored, look at the ceiling. You won't get bored, but like... (laughs) Yes, yeah. You can meditate on the ceiling while listening to poetry. Uh, So they've got uh, poetry from Liz Berry, Anya Koenig, Yomi Sode and Joelle Taylor, uh, plus special guests, it says. And they've also got music from uh, Lilith Owl and Gecko. And yeah, that sounds like it's going to be a blast. Um, And uh, you can find our best bet probably to search for Bad Betty Live on Facebook, I would suggest. 
Then the other thing I've got is um, Petrichor magazine. Uh, they are looking for submissions from October the 1st to December the 1st. So obviously we're slap bang in the middle of that. And their theme is eco-poetics, which I know uh, is uh, probably of interest to quite a few of our listeners and uh, previous poets that we've had on as well. So they say they're looking for more than just observational nature poems or fatalist seeds. They're interested in work that explores the harsh patterns of the natural world, cycles of life, death, rebirth, lots of basically lots of different things um, sort of around this idea of eco poetics. Um, and they say they're looking for poetry, lyric essays, visual poetry, collage, video poetics, audio poetics, docu poetics and art. Uh, if you want to find out more about that, go to petricormag.com forward slash submit. So P-E-T-R-I-C-H-O-R mag.com submit. Oddly hard to spell things on demand, it turns out, even when I'm looking at the thing. Um, and then my third one is the Moth magazine. We can spell Moth. This is fine. Uh, so, sorry, the Moth Poetry Prize, which is basically the biggest prize in the world, or one of them, for a single unpublished poem. And it's open to anyone as long as the poem is previously unpublished. You have to be over 16. Uh, and there's an entry fee of 15 euro per person. Um, the winner of the uh, the winner of the prize gets six thousand euro, uh, which will be announced at a special Ooh. ceremony at Poetry Ireland in Dublin in the spring of twenty twenty three. So the closing date is thirty first of December twenty twenty two. So you've got a long time, but I just thought I'd give you some advance notice that that's coming up and it's a big old thing. And fuck it, you might as well enter it if you've got an unpublished poem there, because who knows? And wouldn't six six thousand euro be nice? Particularly at the moment, actually getting paid in euros is a good shout. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so go to mothmagazine.com. <laughs> yeah, it's, at some yeah, point. Yeah, I think it's, point, uh, it it's five thousand times the the value now. Who's prime minister now? I mean, by the time I've edited it, you know, who fucking knows? So yes, that's me for this month. Laurie, what have you got for us? I've got a few things, a few little tidbits for you. Uh, firstly, the next and final edition of Genesis Slam for the year um, is going to be happening on the 8th of December. And it's our ultra mega super fantastic <laughs> goddamn motherfucking <laughs> son of a bitch final. And it's going to be happening at the Genesis Cinema. It's going to be on the Thursday, the 8th of December. And we're going to have back all of our winners from the last goodness knows how long. Not just 2022, but also 2021, I think, and a bit of 2020 as well. Because Genesis has been so patchy with the pandemic that basically if you've won it in the last little while, probably you've qualified to take part in the final. Um, I believe uh, Rebecca Cooney is uh, one of our previous finalists, so they'll be coming back to uh, perform. I am very excited about that because I haven't been able to perform at Genesis for ages since I won it, like I <laughs> bloody ages ago. And I'm like, but I like Genesis. So. That's the yes, curse I'm very of excited. winning. It is. And yeah, it is. Our... I mean, it's quite a good flex when you sort of when people sort of say, "Oh, are you, are you competing?" I say, "Oh no, I'm not allowed to because I've already won it." That's quite a nice little flex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but it's not as much fun as actually performing <laughs> in it. So I'm very excited yeah. about that. And the winner is going to go through to the Hammer and Tongue National Finals at the Royal Albert Hall. So that's Ooh, very exciting. Um, so that's my first thing. My second thing is not an opportunity. Well, it is an opportunity. Everything is an opportunity if you look at it in the right lens. And you have the opportunity to watch back 
uh, on BBC iPlayer right now a show called Inside Classical, which you might think, why the heck would I want to watch a show that is classical music? I'll tell you why. Because you might remember back to our conversation with Jasmine Gardosi a couple of months ago, where they mentioned that they were doing a project involving the BBC Symphony Orchestra. Well, it's been filmed um, this night of uh, music and spoken word celebrating Birmingham and the West Midlands. Uh, and it's all now online and you can watch it anytime you like. Uh, it's got a ridiculously good lineup, as well as the Birmingham Symphony Orchestra. You've also got uh, Casey Bailey. You've got the rapper Sanity. You've got a poet John Bernard. You've got Jasmine Gardosi. You've got the, the artist Tremendous. You've got singer-producer Agama and the Birmingham Vocal Ensemble Black Voices. It's a ridiculous lineup. I really, really recommend, while it's still on iPlayer, get in the time, just put it in for the night. If you don't want to go out to a poetry thing, stay in um, and watch that on BBC4, um, and it's on iPlayer for you to watch whenever you want to. That's very, very cool. And well done to... Uh, Jasmine and everyone involved. Um, that's just such a cool thing. And finally, from me, I want to shout out a workshop that's happening on the 23rd of November in the afternoon from 1.30 p.m. to 3 p.m. It's organized through Apples and Snakes and it features Beth Calverley, uh, who I think runs the Poetry Machine, doing a workshop called Commission Impossible, which is a great name for a poetry workshop um, about uh, getting commissions, how to approach writing a commission um, and the collaborative process of doing a commission. Um, the best way to find out more about that is to go to Apples and Snakes' website, which is applesandsnakes.org. Um, I'm sure they'll have information on there about it. It looks really cool. Awesome. Right, in a moment, we're going to have a poem from Matt Sowerby to play us out. But before we do that, anything you guys want to plug? Sure, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Laurie Eves Poet, which is L-A-U-R-I-E-E-A-V-E-S Poet, or on Twitter at Mr. L. Eves, that's Mr. Leaves. My book Biceps is out on Burning Eye Books, or it's in brick red cassette form on Buried Vinyl. You can pick up both versions of that from my website, which is laurieeves.com, L-A-U-R-I-E-E-A-V-E-S dot C-O-M. And you can stream the audio version of Biceps wherever you stream audio. I am Hannah Chutzpah, C-H-U-T-Z-P-A-H, on all of the platforms. I am also the host of Insights, uh, LGBTQ plus uh, spoken word night, which now has its own social media channels. Uh, so look for Insight Cabaret on Instagram and Twitter and Insight LGBT on Facebook. Um, and you can sign up and therefore get the Zoom link. It's mostly online. Um, and you can get the Zoom link sent straight to your inbox. Promise I don't spam people. I will only send two emails a month if I fuck something up and need to correct it. Um, but we have a really gorgeous warm uh friendly and international open mic and then i will book and i book an excellent feature every month so yes find out more and sign up there cheers
You can find me on Twitter and TikTok at Rebecca K. Cooney. On Instagram as at any name but Becky. I'm on Facebook as Rebecca Cooney-Poet. And my website is RebeccaKCooney.wordpress.com. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Dead Darlings Pod, Facebook as Dead Darlings Podcast, and you can email us at deaddarlingspodcast at gmail.com. If you've liked what you heard, please remember to rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and help us spread the word. Before we share Matt's poem with you, I just want to say thank you to him for letting us showcase his work. Thank you to Kath Blair for joining us, to my co-hosts, Laurie and Hannah, to Texas Radio for our theme music, and of course, to you guys for listening. so i found out that on um old maps like old medieval european maps um if the person making the map didn't know what was in a certain area then they'd either draw a dragon or they'd write here be dragons um and i guess it got me thinking about places in life that we don't go to uh because we don't know what we're going to find uh and this is what i wrote about that In asking yourself why you are shaking all the time. In remembering the day you forgot how to fly. In being honest with those you love. No more distractions. In being strong enough to be weak enough. Here be dragons. In dancing. Until you forget where you are, hear the wing beats in the distance. It isn't very far. In watching back Snapchat stories and remembering what happened. In smiling at strangers. Here be dragons. In waiting all night by the cliff edge. In loving someone without trying to fix them. In reflecting on failed relationships and decoding the patterns in forgiving. In asking forgiveness. Here be dragons. So leave your room. Drive north, true north, further than you have gone before. Cross an ocean, weather a storm until you arrive back at your own front door. Crawl under your own beds, challenge the monsters to games of riddles or war. Then keep crawling until you find yourself in a vast cavern. Here be dragons, wings wide, skydiving, fireflies the size of giants, scales as dark as a violent night. Their eyes are light, think dynamite, think dinosaurs, think so much more. They're born to defy science, hydras, wyverns, high on highness, all kinds of silence and violence. And here be dragons, and if you are cold, they will use this fire to warm you. They'll sleep with one eye open in case you need someone to support you. If you are low, They will fly you to the heart of the aurora. They are roaring for you. They are calling for you. Until one night, you'll notice in the mirror over the sink how every obstacle you've scaled has left a scale upon your skin. How every time you've bitten back your words, you feel what burns within. Sometimes a bone has got to break to make some space to grow your wings. We are dragons. We have skin as thick as stone, but being what dreams are made of will inevitably take its toll. The trolls are the price we pay for holding on to so much hope. 
that every dragon there's a silver knight who's coming for their gold, but being dragons doesn't mean that we are fearless all the time. I'm still shaking every stage I take to test out my new rhymes, but there is this feeling. It's fight or flight. It lets me know that I'm alive. It's how I know that this is fire. Because I am burning up inside.